Welcome to Truth, Salt, and Spice, the podcast. This is uh, part two of uh, Jesus was quarantined too, meaning as well. And I'm here actually, I don't know if you can hear my voice kind of laughing because I actually recorded this already, it was outside, it's beautiful. And then when I was listening at it again, it was, it's windy. And uh, so that made for some weird noise. And then I realized that my microphone was rubbing against the zipper of my jacket. And so it made for a horrible sound. And sometimes I just don't care enough to re-record things um, because it takes a lot of work. Uh, but this time I thought, you know, it's, it was important for me to have as minimal distractions as possible with um, this because it's a Bible study. And I didn't want any of you being frustrated with unnecessary sounds. So this is take two. Uh, so last week we we're talking about uh, Satan and uh, that he's all about creating doubt and that he uses truth and scripture to twist things around uh, to make us focus on what uh, is not the need at the moment. He makes us focus on what is not true. And uh, so let's just go right on ahead and dig into Matthew 4. We will be reading uh, verses 5 through 7. So after um, Satan has tempted Jesus with... Uh, to turn um, stones into loaves of bread. He then, the devil, Satan, takes verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Now, the first time I read this, I thought, you know what? If I hadn't eaten for 40 days or hadn't drank anything or been around people, I may have myself been tempted to just throw myself off of some height. Um, and I say that, you know, sort of joking, but I can only imagine the actual physical and emotional stress of fasting for 40 days. So I just want to highlight that because, you know, Satan just telling Jesus these simple things really, you know, in the big scheme of things doesn't really sound like much. But we have to uh, focus and remember that Jesus is, in fact, weak physically and emotionally, for sure. So uh, these scriptures that both Jesus and, um, and Satan are quoting, let's, let's go and find them. So we're going to go to Psalm 91, verses 1 through 16. We're going to have a lot of Bible reading today. And if you don't like being read to, because I know some people don't, just press fast forward, read it, you know, yourself, and then, you know, come back. So that's, that's not a problem. So in verse 91, 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Mm, pestilence. Um, not that it, I think there's any direct correlation because there have been other um, pandemics, but it's very apropos. So verse four, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. 
You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will tread goodness excuse me the li- the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love i will deliver him i will protect him because he knows my name when he calls to me i will answer him i will be with him in trouble i will rescue him and honor him with li- long life i will satisfy him and show him my salvation so let's just point out, I'm going to point out here a couple of things. So, you know, Satan is recognizing that Jesus is committed to God. And at this point, Jesus is living his best life. He's, you know, um, been living at home under the shelter um, of you know, Mary and Joseph. And, you know, Jesus is about to start his ministry here. And uh, Satan knows what's coming. So... Jesus is, has actually been dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and abiding in God's shadow. And that's in, in verse 1. And I thought about the word abiding. Um, because I think this is where Jesus is, is drawing strength from. And he is clinging to truth, to who God is. You know, what's interesting here is in verse 9. It says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And those are the scriptures that Satan was quoting. Um, but here's, here's the truth. Because Jesus had made Lord God, his dwelling place, um, evil didn't fall upon him, but it wasn't because he didn't obey. It was because he knew the truth that he, in this temptation, he didn't fall for it. And and I think that's very important to point out, um, you know, in speaking about truth. So the word abide, I, I want to look at, at that and dig in a little bit with that. So let's go to John 15. Um, next. So John 15 verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers. 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. As I was reading uh, this, I thought, well, let me look up what the word abide means in a dictionary. So I found um, a little simple um, definition here. Accept, to abide is to accept or act in accordance with, so be it a rule, a decision, or recommendation. Um, so abiding is really important, and it's just not necessarily walking with somebody. Abiding is being in accordance. You, you are both agreeing to act in similar ways, and, and you're submitting yourself to that. So when you are abiding in God, you have made the commitment to obey his commands, to love one another, to love God. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, let's just say a marriage. I don't want to, you know, um, take away from its major significance. But, you know, there's a commitment. There's a, a, a commitment uh, that goes both ways. Um, I also found it interesting that the word abide shows up 11 times in this scripture, if I counted correctly. Um, so it said, uh, abide in me, abide in the vine, abide in my love, abide in his love. Uh, there's only two that are different, that the focus is on um, someone else. And one of them is that the word should abide in you, meaning you and I, us, and that the fruit that you produce should abide abide by God. Um, and I thought at this moment when I read that, I was like, you know, this is probably a useful tool because Satan comes in and he's tricky. And when we are struggling, we usually start focusing on ourselves. What is going on with me? Woe is me. And I don't say that to minimize what you're going through uh, at all. Um, but sometimes we really make things and a lot bigger than what they are because of this. And sometimes we take really big things and make them our own little shrines because we don't focus on anything else. And so when we abide in, it's all about God. And so I, I, just bear with me. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to, 
bring this full circle here in a minute. So let, let's just continue it and we'll come back to this uh, you focus thing. So let's talk about what it looks like. Um, since we know that abide means to accept or act in accordance uh, with, then we should also know and accept that our behavior will follow according to our beliefs. We will behave according to what we believe. So one of the things that you can start thinking about and, um, and asking yourself is, you know, what, what you or, or telling yourself, you know, what you believe about God and scripture is how you will behave during temptation. Um, because we're going to be tempted. I mean, it's the Bible's clear. Things are not going just to be easy when we become Christians. Um, you know, but how hard um, or how low we fall will depend on how weak we are at the moment and how well equipped we are. Sometimes we will um, overcome temptation uh, with flying colors um, and other times we won't. And the goal ultimately is for us to fall less into temptation and succumb to it and to come out, you know, stronger. Our faith come out stronger through those struggles. So in... Uh, John 15, 12, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And, you know, in part of our armor, I think we, we really underestimate how important and necessary, and it is a command too, to actually have relationships. Christianity is not a um, lonesome uh, religion. We are to be in community. And so, you know, we need people in our life to support us and, and to speak truth to us and just be there for us when we're, you know, in times of temptation. Because again, I can't stress enough that we are going to be tempted. But, you know, if we armor up, um, you know, with God, uh, his word, um, trusted friends, you know, we'll be able to fight, you know, harder. Um, and, you know, salvation is free. But when I was talking here about commandments and obedience, you know, we are expected to obey just as much as the Israelites were. And I'm not a formulaic Christian. I don't think that, you know, if you do A and B, then C, it'll equal to C and everything's just going to be rosy. Um, and not one bit. But I, I do believe that in having, you know, these commands are... are a lot about relationship and about being unified with God, you know, and, and abiding. I think of, you know, when God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, that type of relationship, like we can have that, um, you know, it looks differently, but that's, that's what God, that's the God that we worship. He actually walked with them and they were literally abiding in him, you know, physically. Now for that, now it, it's different, but, uh, it, it's it, it's not that it's not true anymore. So let's go on to verse 7 of uh, Matthew uh, 4. So in verse 7, Jesus responds. Oh, goodness. Where is my... Give me a second. Because my little paper fell out. All right, Matthew 4. So in Matthew 4, verse 7, Jesus responds to Satan... Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And so, you know, I looked up that scripture um, to see what uh, he was referring to. Although I, I got a, I had a little chuckle because I thought, you know, there are times, I'm just trying to imagine Jesus at this moment or putting myself in his shoes. 
And um, I can imagine myself being tempted and being like, don't put the Lord to the test. Don't put him to the test. Don't put him to the test. I know many times I tell myself, you know, just shut up. Just shut up. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that um, because Jesus was human, I, I, I just was wondering um, how he was responding to this. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Jesus was giving himself a pep talk or not, but I thought, you know, that would be something funny to share with you. So let me see, where were we? Uh, let's go ahead and um, go to Deuteronomy 6, because Jesus has just go gone ahead and swung back um, that little uh, curveball that Jesus threw at him. And Jesus is responding with scripture yet again. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 16 through 19. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him in Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by trusting, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. And, you know, here, here again, keeping your the commandments shows up again. Um, and, you know, it's obvious we're not bound by the old covenant anymore. Like when the, the temple um, curtain uh, tore in half, that, that was that, com um, what is it? Um, covenant uh, became nullified. And we now have direct um, access to God. We don't need uh, the high priest and we can abide freely in him. But that doesn't mean that we are free from obedience. And there are commands in the New Testament. Um, he commands us to love him with all his heart, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So... Um, that alone right there is more than enough to keep us uh, busy for the rest of our lives. Uh, but let's go on and, and look at, you know, how did Israel put um, God to the test in Massa? So I had to look that up too. Um, so we're going to go to Exodus 17, 1 through 7. So all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They weren't dramatic at all, were they? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, take in with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, 
because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that is how they tested him. It wasn't that they wanted water. It wasn't questioning what's going on. They questioned whether God was with them or not. And, um, you know, I find it interesting. I'm not one that um, ascribes to the fact that we can't question God at all. I think he can handle that. Um, King David questioned a lot in the Psalms. But I wanted to focus a bit on questioning God. It's not the questioning. It's how we question. What is the focus of our questions? Are we trying to become closer and abiding in him? Or are we actually being disrespectful um, to him? So if they would have focused on the past and known where God has clearly been with them the whole time, they probably wouldn't have questioned if he was among them or not. Um, But we as humans are very, you know, short-sighted and we forget very quickly Um, who God is and how, you know, he's actually shown up in our life. So I want to focus here on uh, giving you some tools. It's not the questioning, it's a type of questions. And I believe that a lot of times Satan comes in with these if uh, questions. If you are this, then God should this. But the focus here is on you, on on us, you and me. What questions can we ask that focus on the truth of who God is and then how that applies to us? So, you know, since we know that God is, and you can fill in, I mean, looking in the Bible, all the different names of God, and they always have some kind of attribute to his character in which way he's shown up for people. Um, He's shown up powerfully. He's shown up, he's um, omnipotent, uh, omniscious. He's um, the God who sees the God, you know, there's just God's names are, are they're plenty in the Bible, but they're always based on how he's shown up for his people throughout the scriptures. It's not who he calls himself per se, which I guess is Yahweh. Um, and I may be wrong in that, but it's who he is called because of how he consistently shows up. So when we're questioning and, and we're hurting and, and we're feeling like alone and it's okay to question these things, but the questions would probably benefit us. It would probably benefit us a lot more asking the question differently, declaring what is true and then asking God what's going on and to help him see you um, and for him to help him uh, not see you for him to help him Uh, for him to help you see um, the truth. So we know that he is consistently um, love and patience and forgiving and he gives and he provides and he sees us. Uh, That's a whole other Bible study we could do. So because that is true, then what? Then who are you in God? Um, So, you know, asking God, I'm going through this. I don't like it. I'm feeling like this, but I know this is true about you. So then what do you want me to do? How do you want me to show up? Um, And Moses here gives a beautiful example. I actually didn't catch this until now. Moses in verse four of Exodus 17, 
Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? He's not um, bemoaning the fact that they're about to kill him. And, you know, that comes later. He states a fact. They're almost ready to stone me. He asked him what he should do. So it was all about God focusing. Um, it wasn't, well, if you really loved us and if you really were here, then this wouldn't be happening. Why yada, 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 which is, you know, more of a faithless um, conversation with Jesus or, you know, with God in prayer. Uh, but I think if we if we share with God our emotions because he gave them to us, um, emotions aren't um, aren't inherently bad at all he he made us human and in, in, in his image so emotions are not foreign to god but when we're crying out to him and then we ask the questions how about we ask questions that state truth and then ask god to show us the way as opposed to um, asking questions that are already um, steeped in a scarcity you know satan and his ifs that's that's just a big one um you can ask, you know, God um, to show you what you're supposed to learn, um, to show you what you're teaching him, um, to show you where the focus is, uh, you know, when you're going through temptation and hard times. Uh, you can ask him to show you where he's at work, um, where he's actually close to you. Uh, he, he will answer if you really want, um, you know, the truth. So from Exodus, let's go ahead and jump to John 14. John 14, verse 15 and 16. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with, dwells with you and will be in you. So here's again dwelling and being in, you know, a form of abiding, I, I suppose. But, you know, Jesus didn't leave us ill-equipped. He thoroughly left us equipped to handle life on earth. He left us with an advocate, a counselor, helper. Uh, Holy Spirit has, you know, different names as well. Um, and, you know, last episode I spoke of Azar, um, spelled E-Z-E-R, um, you know, a protector as well. It, it, the Holy Spirit is in, 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 is in us. Like we have power through Holy Spirit. It's our direct access to Jesus. So if we have Holy Spirit, ooh, I said if, um, since we have Holy Spirit and we have scriptures, uh, hopefully you have trusted friends. If not, that's something that you can, you know, start thinking of. Who can you build a friendship with? You don't need to have a lot of friends. Only one true friend really can make a huge difference in your life. Difference in your life. Um, I have about three that really are the ones I reach out to that speak deep truth to me. Um, and then we have uh, Spirit of Truth, which is what um, is called here in, in John 14, uh, Holy Spirit, and God. And, you know, when I, when I was writing this down, I was thinking, you know, if God is with us and for us, you know, we are more than conquerors. And I said, yeah, I know that's a scripture. So I looked it up. Um, and so, excuse me, that scripture is actually Romans 8. And it's verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Aren't you glad that God is gracious? I'm so glad I'm not God, because I'm definitely not the most gracious person in the world um, when I'm not focused on him. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or losing your job or struggling with uh, pornography or adultery? As verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And amen to that. Uh, you know, verses 31 and verses 37 um, is, is what I was uh, quoting earlier so what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us i mean the god of the universe our abba is for us he loves us we are his heir um that for me is not something i ever question um and that always helps me to keep um my emotions in check um and and to you know keep carrying on to be honest and then verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him, abiding in him is where we will conquer because separate from him, we are just not strong, not in that way. Um, and so, you know, as you're in quarantine and you're alone, um, you know, or you may not be alone, you could totally have a house full of people. But you could still feel lonely. And, you know, I pray that in these hard times that we're going through this um, quarantine, uh, whether imposed by the government or, or yourself, because you may have been exposed or um, because you are currently sick. But I also, you know, think of you may have lost your job. You don't know where your income is coming from. You know, there are a lot of really um, scary scenarios out there that are true. Like it's it's not something that... Um, may necessarily be simple. Um, losing your job is is hard. I mean, or a business. Um, there are a lot of people that are just not going to make it very well through this. And this may be you. So I pray that you cling to God's promises and that um, through these hard times, you abide in him so that uh, this uh, trial is is bearable, I guess, in a sense. Um, because it's not going to necessarily make you feel any different. Uh, but I hope that the Prince of Peace, um, just having that peace, uh, gives you some sort of relief. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, so 
I'm just going to go ahead and, and wrap it up and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, remind us who you are. Remind us who we are in you. Uh, when we are weary and fearful and anxious, comfort us. Spirit, whisper sweet truth to us, the truth that no matter how horrible things are now or will be for others, for ourselves, that you are love. In John, 1 John 4, 8, you say that you are love. Um, and I think of love covering a multitude of sins. And, you know, when we're tempted, um, we, make, you know, we may actually uh, be able to be strong enough to, to not fall into temptation. But some of us still will. And I'm, I'm so grateful that love covers over a multitude of sins. And as your love covers over a multitude of our sins and your grace, I pray that um, we remember to extend that same grace towards others and remember that love covers over their sins as well and the sins that we commit against others, and the sins committed uh, against us. Please uh, just give us peace and help us to keep our gaze on you. Pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen.